0: As you're turning to Mark, chapter two. Um, what is Thanksgiving? <laughs> I think in America we like we tend to do with so many other things. We we have a great way of distorting it, right? Um, look what we've done with Christmas and. Santa Claus and snowmen and Rudolph and what we've done with Easter with bunny rabbits and colored eggs and unfortunately Thanksgiving um, isn't all that much better. They've turned it into you know Black Friday, right? You know it's a it's a it's another marketed um, commercial holiday. But we we still have uh, some glimmer of of, of what Thanksgiving is. Usually people gather together, uh, break bread, have a meal, share, and um, focus a little bit on on having a grateful heart. But we want to make sure that you know we, we don't miss it. We want to make sure that we not only value what Thanksgiving is even as as Americans and just the traditions that, that we have, but as believers. Uh, we're, we're called to, have grateful and thankful hearts. And in order for us to to do that, we we need to, to make that a, a focus of our lives. That's part of the reason why we're called to pray and pray daily. Because um, that reminds us and kind of catapults us into focusing on God rather than ourselves. And so Thanksgiving has become so many things. And, you know, it started off, as I mentioned earlier, with, you know, um, you know, 53 pilgrims and 90 ill indians celebrating peace um i think i've mentioned before you know the idea that you had you know the the saints and the savages and and the sinners that's who was uh, the craftsmen who were on the mayflower with the saints and somehow in that in that year you can revive history any way you want it but if the savages are pure savages then the pilgrims would be dead and if the if the pilgrims were the, the conquerors and the, the, uh, the, you know what they've been made out to be, then the Indians would be dead. And neither one's the case. They broke bread and had a meal of Thanksgiving. And so that, that in and of itself should remind us and let us know a little bit about the truth of that history and a celebration with food and festivities. And isn't food, something about food that's fun, right? It's just fun to eat. And eat a lot. And <laughs> Thanksgiving is just one of those special times and different people come and bring different, you know, their their version of that meal. And um, it's just in doing their best. Uh, we tend to pray a little bit more uh, during Thanksgiving, especially since we, we kind of set forth to, to be mindful of being thankful. And in fact, George Washington's the one who kind of created and set thanksgiving as a as a public day of, of thanksgiving and praise to God Lincoln used it to unite and heal uh, the divided country you know during the Civil War um, and so we look at this and we can kind of glean from that too and and even ask ourselves well how do we how do we use Thanksgiving to unite our families how do unite our our, our, our country even, how to unite us with other people. And, and I was reminded of Mark 2 and just this, this power of, of they. Um, if you noticed, I made emphasis when we came to they. Um, and so there's four, four kind of insights of Thanksgiving they that I want to talk about today. First is the, the history of biblical they. Second is the history of pilgrim they. Third is the history of church, they, and then fourth is the history of one another, they. And so back to back to the book, back to Mark two, uh, we we see this this great uh, story, this real story of this power of they. And what you have is you have Jesus coming back home, and Jesus goes home, and what ends up happening is there's this gathering. I mean, you could imagine if you found out that Jesus was you know at, at uh, Frank Dale's, and everybody would go over there and want to hear from Jesus right and people would be outside and on the deck and trying to get as close as they possibly could to, to hear Jesus but at a certain point there's just no more room and, and that's when this this story gets interesting verse three so so they come along and who's they who is they? We don't know. Not important. Their name's not important. Their title's not important. It's just they, these four men. What do they do? They bring their, their paralyzed friend, their paralyzed buddy. He can't walk. So, so what do they do? Verse four. They pick him up and move him and carry him to Jesus. And they can't get to Jesus. So what do they do? They go up and over. Now, I want you to, to picture that scene. There's a, there's a crowd of people and there's a house. And, and they're going to, to lift this body up onto the roof. Now, I don't know how many of you lift bodies, but they're not light. Even if you have four people and even if you have a really nice built pallet, <coughs> And to lift it over your head and to lift it while carrying, you know, somebody up on a roof. You know, that, that takes some effort. That takes some tenacity. Um, but they were on a mission. They were on a mission to bring their, their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Two things we don't know yet. We, we, we don't really know. We don't know who this guy is. Does he want to go see Jesus? They ask to see Jesus? Uh, we don't know if he's kicking and screaming the whole way over there or if he's begging and pleading, you guys got to get me to Jesus. We don't know. Um, all we know, again, is we know they. We know what, what they were willing to do. And to the extent that they were willing to go, they, they weren't going to stop outside on the deck. They were going to see Jesus. And if that meant lifting their friend on the roof and then ripping the roof apart, right? When they had dug it out, you know, an opening, then they let him down. So, you know, here's Jesus talking and, whoa, what's going on up there? And, he, you know, the, the they let him down. He's right there in the middle. He gets to see Jesus. He's at the feet of the Lord. And, and I absolutely love this. Verse, verse five, and Jesus seeing their faith, their faith, not his faith, their faith. I, I, I want you to pause and think about that for a second. That's an amazing statement. We have people who we love, people who we know, people we don't know that we would desire to see the Lord, to not only be physically healed, but spiritually healed. And to think that our efforts would have anything to do with that, that our faith would have anything to do with that, transformation, gives me goosebumps. Jesus sees their faith. No mention of him at all, whatsoever. Them, the four guys, no mention of their names. Don't want them to be the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. He sees their faith and he says to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. So not only do we see this guy who's paralyzed, he, he's a sinner, right? So, so here's a point of salvation too. Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven. I don't, we don't see that he asked for that. We don't see that he fell down on his knees and and confessed his sins. We see Jesus taking charge and and telling him, your sins are forgiven. Now, another interesting thing is there's these scribes, right, sitting there and reasoning within their hearts. So, So we know the story with the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're always, you know, arguing with Jesus. They're always trying to catch him. They're always trying to question his motives. And they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe he's the son of God. They believe that he is actually a, a blasphemer against God. And this then becomes to their wicked ears. Wait a minute. Did you hear what he just said? He just said he forgives this guy of his sins. Who do you think you are to forgive somebody of their sins? See, We don't don't forgive people their sins. Jesus does that. Thank the Lord for that, by the way. Um, And so Jesus being omniscient, knowing all things, Jesus knows what they're thinking. They might as well be saying it uh, uh, out out in the open. And he hears them reasoning in their hearts. So in their hearts, they have this scheme, right? Verse 7, why does this man... disrespect. Speak this way. He's blaspheming because who can forgive sins but God alone? Yes. Amen. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus Christ. That's who. Because he is the living God incarnate, part of the triune Godhead. Bingo. You get it, but you don't get it. You don't want it. Verse 8. And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit, that they were reasoning that way within themselves, says to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Well, what's easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your pallet, and walk? Now, I love the two options there, because I can't do either one. Mm-hmm. I can't save you from your sins, or heal you if you're paralyzed, and neither can you. And and, and Jesus, always being kind of tactful and, and, you know, plays with them is well, what's easier. I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And what did he do? He rose and immediately took up his pallet and went out in the sight of all. Now, remember this, this, this is an area in a time where, where, you know, people, you know, the paralyzed guy, right? P- people would, this is a walking distance thing. And so they know who he is. They know he's been paralyzed. They know this is an actual, real, miraculous event. And so they're just sitting there, just amazed. And their response is, is to glorify God. So we, we, we've, we've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. This is incredible. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And so what we see here then is this this introduction, this introduction to a a history of a biblical concept of they and the power of they that I want you to see. There's power in they. There's a history in they. and, And we see this laid out biblically in Mark chapter two. Well, let's take a step back a minute and, and back to Thanksgiving, back to the history of pilgrim day. Our our second point, the history of pilgrim day. Well, who are these pilgrims? Uh, let's you know refresh our minds. Who who are the pilgrims? Who 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 did who are they? Where did they come from? What's their story? England is a, is a very confused place during the time of the pilgrims. They, they have a, a very strong Roman Catholic background. They, they have this, you know, the king is, is God still kind of a concept or, you know, the monarch. And, and, and so they've kind of fused in this Anglican type of, of, of religion. And, and so it, it's, it's not Christian, and these pilgrims identify it as such, and they see the, the secular mindset. And so they, they break away, and they become an independent group, an independent church. And so, in a mocking way, the Church of England uh, calls them, gives them the name of pilgrims, gives them the name of the separatists, and they, it's really a, a derogatory term. Why? Because they thought of them as just religious zealots and wackos. You've got a small group of people who are going to do their own thing, their own way, and not listen to the government. Well, they must be crazy, right? Um, Well, these aren't Puritans. Puritans don't come along for, for another hundred years. Uh, this is just a, a, a small group of people who have separated themselves, much like what you would see Israel being called to do when they're in the middle of, of foreign nations and lands. They, they're just separate. They're not going to be like the people in their time and community, in their government. And they were faced with severe persecution for that, um, they were oppressed. They were fined. They were imprisoned. They were even executed at times. This was not an easy thing to do, to, to be a pilgrim. And so it got so bad, so bad in England. And we tend to have like this fondness for England. And, you know, we think we're like, you know, brothers and sisters and kumbaya. Remember, this is the England that we had a revolutionary war against. Okay? Um, you you, you got to put yourself. <laughs> You got to put yourself in this time and place, uh, and, and so the true church is very, very small. The true church is very small, and so the pilgrims decide we, we've got to leave, we, we've got to go. And so, what do they do? They prayerfully, and, and that's one of the great things in this book that you can read is everything they did was with the with the overarching view that God is providentially in charge. And in, in, in control. And so they were constantly praying about their decisions. And so they decided together that they were going to go to Holland. They could get land there. They could set up, you know, they could have freedom to to do their religion there. They weren't going to be oppressed by the government. Um, and so they decided to pick up and go. Now, look, th- their group is is probably a little over 100 at this time. I I keep thinking of our group. Do you know how easy it would be for us to just make a decision? Hey, we're all going to go move to Missouri. Not easy at all. I mean, the logistics of it, right? Well, what about my stuff? What about my house? What about my my job? What about all these things? If you think it would be hard today for a smaller group like this to get up and just all decide we're going to go, re relocate put yourself in their position because remember the 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 law of the land is still if you own land then you're master of your domain if you do not own land then you're nothing more than a glorified servant and so when they get up and they go to holland well they don't have much and the dutch are an interesting people at this time they're 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 workers they just like described by the, the pilgrims, all they want to do is work and they want to work hard and they want to work hard all day long, every day, all day. Um, very, very rugged conditions, I, I guess, in, in Holland. I mean, you know, I always think of them as, you know, wearing wooden shoes and hanging out at, you know, windmills, but um, not the case. And so they are just very hard workers. The conditions were hard. It was the kind of thing where, hey, you you earn what you get. There's... Um, which was fair, but it was hard. It was fair, but it was hard. And, and they weren't Christians. They weren't trying to follow the Lord at the time. And so the pilgrims came on and they, look, they're going to reestablish a new community, a new place. Unlike the Amish, who just wanted to be isolationists and be left alone, the pilgrims were evangelists. Which didn't exactly rub the Dutch good. <laughs> They didn't, you know you guys can come here and you know do your thing but but we don't want the Jesus thing. And these guys were writers. They 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 would write, you know, these little pamphlets and and things all the time in the printing press and they're like, you know, writing and and distributing them and and they're with with a pure heart to evangelize, to evangelize their community. And so the the history of this pilgrimage is they were were united together and they were committed to to spreading the gospel to others, um, which is an admirable thing. But after eleven years of being in Holland, eleven years, uh, we've been here now a little over ten years. It's a long time. This group has changed o- over that time period. Uh, 11 years is a long time, and this is the same group and the same families, and they, they've been together, but, you know, what what's happened since we've gotten here? You know, our, our little kids came in here, and, you know, then they started driving, and now they're starting to get married, right? Well, the same thing was happening with the Pilgrim's kids, except they were, you know, um, you know, starting to want to do things like the Dutch way, and do things that the Dutch kids were doing, and you know, it's funny, you read these books for a couple, you know, a hundred years ago, and it's like, this is like, could have been written today. You know, the kids just want to go off and do crazy things. Um, and so the effect that the world was having, despite their, their daily prayers, despite their, their Bible studies, despite their devotion, uh, the outside world was having a major effect on, on, on their, their families. And so, they decided and they thought, you know, it came to such a boiling point that they needed to move again. Uh, Which is an interesting thing, because when we think about growing in the Lord and strengthening our faith, I I don't think we think, well, what we need to do is is just get up and and leave as, as a group, right? But this shows you how how much more difficult it was for them to operate than it is for us and again we like to gripe and complain but we have freedom believe it or not we we still have freedom we have a ton of freedom and 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 it's a beautiful thing they they really didn't they were locked into this little section of land that they they had purchased and that's all they could afford and as they were growing getting bigger there was really nowhere else for them to grow And it was very, very hard work. Their kids were were growing up and not wanting to be a part of the family or the community. Um, So this wasn't going the way they thought. So they made plans, prayerful plans, to try to go somewhere where in the long run they can grow and expand. And they would have the freedom for their religion. And believe it or not, that was not an easy thing during this time. Wherever you went around the world, either it was you know the Spaniards, you know ruled it, the French, the the Brits, even the Portuguese, and so there was a, a lot of claims to lands and a lot of rule. And part of those rules were not freedom of religion. This is why the, the founding fathers in America made it such a big deal that we would have separation of church and state, because the whole premise was. Look, we want to give you the freedom of your religion. And, and that's all they wanted. That's you you read this over and over again. All they wanted was that freedom to be able to worship the Lord as as they desired. And so the third piece of of this history of, of, of they is a look into well what is the church? So you know what what's this Group of pilgrims, what are they doing or what they're doing? Is it okay? And Hebrews 10, 24, if you turn with me to Hebrews 10, 24, look at a history of what church they is. Um, we'll start at, let's start at verse uh, 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're called as followers of Christ to be in a church community of they. See, there's, there's, no place in Scripture where you are called to be alone in your faith on this earth. No, no place. There, there's always a community. Always. And, and here we see that, look, we're, we're not to forsake. Uh, we're, we're not to just, you know, put aside, throw away the, the assembly of being together. Our power is in they. Our power is in us. And so we're called not only to just get together. This isn't just a, a social club. We don't just get together to, to eat and you know, have fun. No, we're, we're called to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So, so there's, a, there's a stimulation that we're to provoke one another, to stir one another to do, to act, to, to love, and to good deeds. So a truly biblical church, that's what it's committed to. It's committed to they. One of the dangers that we're seeing now, and especially with COVID and modern technology, is we're seeing that there's really not a commitment to they at all. In fact, I can stay at home alone. And do the whole church thing on TV. Well, by definition, that's not church. Um, it, it, it's a band aid, you know. You get sick, you know, or you know, you're out of town or something. Fine, but as a regular pattern, as as a regular, no, that's not church. By definition, the church is the body of Christ, which is made up by people. The church is not the walls here. That, that's not church. The, the church is, is they the church is us the church is people and, and, and we're called to to do something so it, it's not virtual um, believe it or not we we are we are going to have virtual church very very soon we're we're, we're almost there where, where people can stay at home and and, and watch it on TV or watch it on the Zoom. But what you're going to see now is you, you're going to be able to, you know, Facebook, if you guys are familiar, just changed its name to Meta. And really, it's more than the name change. It's actually, you know, their their whole company is, is changing. And the, their big thing is virtual reality. And so what you're going to see more and more and more. And you're going to see a lot of advertisements for, the, you know, the virtual goggles. And it's going to start off with games and fun stuff and sightseeing. But it's going to turn into, like, they want you to, to do almost everything virtually. So why go on vacation? It's crazy. It's like 80s movies are coming to reality. It's like instead of going on vacation, you're just going to sit back and, and put on your virtual glasses. And now, now, I want you to picture this. Instead of getting up and getting dressed and brushing your teeth and, you know, all that, you can stay at home and you can get these goggles and go... And you can be in a group of, you know, 10,000 Christians praising God and worshiping. That music's going to be awesome. That experience will feel incredible. We've been talking about that at Men's Men, that, that, that feeling of, of that worship. But is that artificial? You're, you're going to be able to, you know, hey, you can go to the, which pastor do I want to listen to? And just take the goggles off and put on, and the whole thing will be virtual. You'll be able to see other people, hey, how's it going, and talk virtually. But it's not real. But this is where we're heading. This is where we're going. Um, this is fact, not conjecture. And the problem is, is that we have a biblical history of they. We have a biblical history of people that are are so committed to to family and friends in Christ, that they will pick up their friend and take him and carry him to go see Jesus. We see people are so committed to that they will, will change their lives, get up as a whole group, and go across the ocean knowing that half of the people would not survive. I was amazed in reading that they knew. They knew that there was going to be a large part of their group that would not make it. Could you imagine could you imagine? I mean, look around knowing that, look, we're going to cross the ocean and many of us aren't going to make it. They knew that and they did it. That's a commitment. We see this commitment in, 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 in church. They, and, and especially laid out here, laid out here in Hebrews. So how, and why do we do this? Well, we, we do this by drawing near, verse 22. We, we draw near to the Lord with sincere hearts, full assurance of faith. We hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Do, do you guys ever lose heart? Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever just, you know, it, it's, it's a hard week? See, the reason why we get together in person is to love one another, to encourage one another, to remind one another, to assure one another of our faith, to strengthen that confession of our hope. We do this together in person. We love each other with our with our eyes, with a hug. We're we're in the early church they would greet one another with a with a brotherly kiss. That was that 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 intimate level of of family friendship, right? And so that's the pattern. What do we have now? Now what we have is a pattern of, well, I don't really want you to know me because if you knew me, then you would know my sin. If you knew me, then you may, you might, you know, confront me. You might judge me, right? How often we hear this? Don't judge me. What, what, what is that statement saying? I mean, think about it. Don't judge me is equivalent to, don't help me. You might as well just say, don't help me. Because somebody who knows you, who loves you, who's concerned about you, believe me, they, they don't really want to engage that way. They only do it because the love propels them to do it. And your response is, I don't want your love. <laughs> really? I, I don't want your help. Love me less. Well, that's not the biblical way. That's not the pattern of they. We don't know if this guy, again, we don't know his situation. We, we don't know what he was thinking. You know, If he was sitting there on his mat, you know, stop judging me. Stop judging me. I don't need Jesus. We, we, we don't know, really. But we know people, we know how people are. And so the history of church they just it, it doesn't happen alone. It doesn't happen alone. And it doesn't just happen. It's not by mistake. So so how does it work? How, how, how does this they, this power of they work? How do we practically apply this Thanksgiving they? Well, it begins with understanding the one another's. And the Bible is not silent in regards to calling us to to the edifying of one of each other through one another. There there's verse after verse after verse. I, I condensing it down was was very difficult, but I, I broke it down into four sections. Here here's here's how we can then have this history of of one another they as we move forward it begins with genuine love and then it's a, a development of unity it's fueled by humility and it's encouraging and edifying so it begins with genuine love John 13:34 says calls us commands us to love one another Let's be crystal clear about what love is. And unless you've been in premarital, you know, recently, maybe you've forgotten what, what love is. And so, love defined by God in 1 Corinthians 13 4 through 7 is this. When you see this, you are called to love one another. Immediately, this is what you should think in your mind. You are called. To be patient with one another. You're called to be kind with one another. You're called not to be jealous with one another. You're called to not brag and not be arrogant with one another. You're called not to act unbecomingly and not to seek your own. You're called to not provoke one another. Do not take into accounts wrong suffered with one another. Do not take into accounts suffered wrongly by one another. Don't keep track of the bad things your friends do to you and family, right? Did did you guys hear that one? Don't rejoice in unrighteousness. Rejoice with truth. Love one another. Bear all things. Believe in all things. Hope. Believe in the best in them and then endure it. Endure this. So when we say Love one another, that's what we're saying. It's a loaded word. It's not easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. We're called, Mark 12, 30, 31, to love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Well, that question was asked to Jesus, and the neighbor essentially was anybody who was around you. So we're also called to do this same list with those around us. I mentioned Romans 6.16, that, that this loving of one another was to the extent of it was like family, that they would, they would greet each other with, with a holy kiss. So the history of one another, they, begins with genuine love. Genuine love. Genuine love is not a feeling, it's an action. Well, if you do this, it, this will create this bond. This will... Create unity. First Corinthians 1.10 says, "Don't have any division among yourselves." How do we not have divisions? Well, don't keep account of wrongs suffered, right? Uh, that's that's one way. Don't act unbecomingly with one another. Don't be an arrogant jerk to one another. Okay, that that'll help you have no divisions. Um, rally around the anchor of your soul, Jesus Christ, and His Word. Romans 15, 7. How do we develop unity? Accept one another. Accept one another. One of the more difficult things for us to do as, as Christians is we get about two weeks into it, and then all of a sudden we, we, we think we've arrived. You know? Um, no. The, the church is, is filled with sinners, with gross sinners. We, we, we don't... We don't brag about that. We we're not happy about it. We definitely don't want to um to to make light of it. But the fact is that that there's sin in the camp. And it's only by by God's grace that we've been invited in and forgiven of our sins, and then from that point can propel one another. So be ready to accept one another and our. Fault. Um, don't James says, don't, don't grumble. In Galatians 5.26, don't provoke. I have, I have enough of me to deal with. I don't need you provoking me to, to the next sin level, right? So again, when you're thinking about what love is, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It doesn't lead others into unrighteousness. Um, well we have to have a mindset to do this. That mindset is is fueled by this concept of humility. How do we humble ourselves to the point where we're able to to give to the they? Um, Jesus is again our really one true and only example. Uh, Philippians 2 Do nothing, nothing from selfishness, but with the humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. If you're thinking of others and regarding others as more important than yourself and not seeking your own constantly, day after day, then you'll have that, that humble mindset like that of Christ. See, this is antithetical to our world. In every way, shape, and form, our world is driving you. Think of yourself, think of yourself, think of yourself, serve yourself, love yourself. Right? This is the whole concept of personal peace and affluence. I wanna be happy. Right? I want how can I be happy? Oh, well, vacation, food, concerts, sports, well, whatever it is, do it, be happy. Uh, it's the it's the the call of the postmodernist. Do whatever it takes to be happy. It's the most important thing. No, it's not. The chief end of all men is to glorify God. Make Him happy. What makes Him happy? When we do nothing from selfishness, but with an empty conceit and humility of mind, regard others as more important than ourselves. And then we have the mindset of Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself even to the point of death and death on the cross. That's our example. Jesus also did this other thing in John 13, 34, where he washes the feet of his disciples, showing this pattern. Can you imagine the king of the universe washing your feet? No. No. I think about the things that I would do if, you know, if money were no object, what would I never do again? I wouldn't, I would, you know, wouldn't it clean the chicken poop, you know, coop anymore, you know, I'd hire Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I would not drive ever again, right? I would just have a chauffeur. So, so, you know, I'm, there are these things that, I, you know what Jesus would do if he were king? Well, he did it. He would wash your feet. I don't know about you i don't I don't want to wash anybody else's feet, especially if they were in open toed sandals right walking through you know the horse field and whatever the chicken coop and all that and then you know to sit down and you know and the and the what do they call the corns and all that and the and the, the fungus and the half the half nails and Whatever's going on, I don't know. Um, it's gross. <laughs> but Romans twelve ten says, you know what we're called to do? Honor others above yourself. Honor others above yourself. That's the power of they. That's the history of they. That, that that's what a, a, a genuine church does. Genuine church doesn't come to church asking, what are you going to give me? What are you going to do for me? Genuine church comes to, how can I serve the body? You know what's really cool? Is we all have special, unique gifts and talents. There's not one that's better than the other. We need and require all of it. And when we all come together and do that, well, then we have this great unity and we're able to do bigger and better things. when you have one person that can sing, that's well that's not quite as good as one person who can sing and one person who can play the guitar, one person who can sing, play the guitar and play the piano, and then the drums and then the right and, and it expands and goes up and then you know then we start talking about you know coffee and all that other stuff and all of a sudden, hey, it's pretty cool to come here. why? Because we all come and give sacrificially to one another. And then finally, how do we do this one another thing? Well, we we edify and encourage one another. How? Well, Romans 15, 14. Well, one is through instruction. One is by instructing one another. Uh, Colossians 3, 16, by admonishing one another. Uh, Hebrews 10, 4, by spurring on. You guys, we're called to spur one another on. It's not judgment. It's encouragement. It's edification. Hey, you know what? You should read your Bible more. Hey, you know what? You you, you should pray more. Hey, you know what? You should come with me to go, you know, to go hand out sandwiches, to go build houses, to whatever. Let's uh, go chop wood. Uh, make a meal for for. You know, a, a sick, sick, family. We're we're just spur one another on. We're to encourage one another in our marriages. I mean, I know marriage is probably super easy for you, um, but for some people, it's hard. It's like the octagon. You know, you put two sinners in a cage and you lock the door. Um, it's not easy. It's hard. So we need to encourage one. You know what? You need to read your Bible. Understand what the Bible says about what love, what love is. And then you need to do that stuff. Hey, by the way, you know what? I found it that when, when I actually um, don't seek my own, when I actually don't provoke my wife, then I get a better response from her. It's crazy. You know, I find that when I'm kind with my words, that my marriage goes better. Um... I find that, you know, when, when I'm gentle, that's a good thing. You might want to try that. We're, we're called to encourage one another, to edify one another. We're called to remind one another, hey, you know what? I need to see you at church. Do you guys realize seeing you encourages me? Just seeing some of you. No, all of you, just kidding. <laughs> Whatever, man. <laughs> and you guys know this to be true because it's the same with you you see that person you may not even, even say anything to them maybe it's just a handshake maybe it's a hug but you know what there, there, there's an encouragement of, of us coming together and it's good to know alright good, good to see you. you doing okay and where are you going to go when you're not doing okay you just are, are 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 you like the world? Are you alone on this earth? You are not you are not you have they you have us and and, and that's what we're here for This is just a, a small piece of our christian life and, and and I'm saying this the sermon time, the teaching time. this is a small piece um when you think of the pilgrims, you don't think of the sermons. You think of the actions that they did. It's the same thing with us. How do we live what we see God's word calling us to? God's word calls us to they. So the history of they that we see all the way back with Jesus. We we saw it with the pilgrims. We see it as as the makeup of the church. We see it as what we're supposed to do as we move forward. So then the question is um, well what are we going to do? Do you guys realize we are the they? We are the next generation of they. You are the guy that picks up the pallet and helps somebody else. You're the family and the, and the community that's together like the pilgrims that say, you know what? Uh, life is brutal. We're being persecuted. You know what? We're, we're, we're going to get through this together. Um, and are you thankful for that? Are, are you thankful for the, the, the no-name days in Mark 2? No, no, names are you thankful for the, the pilgrims who made the great sacrifices to come here so that you know what? We have freedom today because of them and their commitment. It's incredible that legacy that that, that remains. It, they prayed for so long and, and in their minds, they were they were um, losing the battle. in their minds, they weren't doing a good job. In their minds, it wasn't enough, right? And yet look at what the seeds that they planted live on today. That's absolutely incredible. And so, you know what? We're, we're not called to be the pilgrims. Nobody's told us to, you know, get in ships and, you know, go, you know, find some island somewhere or, you know, some, you know, land in Africa where we could, you know, have free Kool-Aid. Nobody's asking that. Um, but what we are asking is that we live biblically, that we do not forsake the assembly. We don't forsake it. We don't throw it away like it's nothing. We're reading about revelation, about the things that are about to come and take place. Could you imagine going through any piece or part of that alone? No. No. Um, and I don't know about you, but reading Revelation has just given me a new spirit and a new fire to say, you know what, I don't want anybody to go through this. I, you know, Lord, I, I want you to take up your church, to take up the believers, to, to take us away before all this happens. And I want to take as many people with me as possible. And I know that there's going to be... Great days of salvation through tribulation. But I don't want for my worst enemy to to spend one day in that. Um, And I definitely don't want any of my family and friends. So as we move forward, as we are reminded that we have so much to be thankful for, so much to be grateful for, I want us to be grateful for each other. I want us to be thankful for the person sitting next to you, not just your family member, um, but the people who attend Ravensdale Bible Church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for